Welcome into X's and Opinions here on WSOU Sports. Today is Monday, May 10th, 2021, and it's the start of finals week here at Seton Hall University. So good luck to basically anyone and everyone getting ready for that. I know this time of the year is always stressful, so hopefully we can distract you with a fun and entertaining episode just about sports uh, alongside John McCooch, Joel Moran. I'm Will Swanky, and we really just we have a great show for you all today. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers will update you on that crazy situation because that situation is basically just a complete mess. So we'll get into that, talk about what each side should do when it comes to that. Uh, Julius Randle and the New York Knicks, they're having the season, and Randle is having the season of his career. Uh, but that does that make him worth a max contract? You know, Hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that later in the show. Uh, the NBA playoffs, there's always storylines towards the end of the NBA season. Last year was all about the Lakers, how they struggled in the bubble. And what do they go out and do? They win the championship. So there's always a lot of storylines that people buy into that don't necessarily play out. So we'll get into some storylines that we believe in and a lot that we don't. Uh, but we'll start off here, guys, with LeBron James and the NBA play-in tournament. So what's the deal with LeBron? Well, last year in 2020, the NBA invited a whole bunch of teams that were not in the playoff picture to the NBA bubble to compete the last couple of seeds in the playoffs and LeBron was asked about this idea and he said basically why not you know why not let these teams at the bottom of the league compete for the last couple of spots and the NBA pretty much agreed with him because they decided to bring back the play-in tournament for this season and now the reason why this comes up again is because the Lakers are right now tied for the seventh seed which would put them in the play-in tournament which would put them in the position to play elimination games before the end of before the playoffs even begin. So you have a championship contender in a position to play elimination games basically down to the end of the season. And LeBron was asked about this idea of playing in the play-in game. And he basically said, you know, whoever came up with that idea should be fired. Now, I don't know if he was really calling for somebody's job, guys. I don't think he was really being serious, but I do think that he is frustrated with the potential for his contending team, a team that should be at the top of the West to be playing in these high-stress games. Right, Joel? I mean... These games are going to be high intensity for all the teams involved, not just LeBron. So what I want to find out from you guys is, you know, which LeBron are you? Are you the, why not let these teams play it out at the bottom of the league? Or are you the, everybody needs to be fired. This is a terrible idea. What do you think about the playing tournament? I'm on the side that I think the playing is a great idea. And I don't know why he's making such a big deal out of it because I mean, for one, if, the Lakers were a top seed. LeBron would not be saying anything about this. I firmly believe that the fact that the Lakers are in a position to be in the play-in, mostly due to them being injured and also Anthony Davis playing, like, really bad these past couple of games. I was going to use another word, but I'm just going to say he's playing really bad. You know, I think LeBron, instead of criticizing the NBA and the playing, maybe you should tell Anthony Davis to get off of stream and playing GTA and maybe focus on basketball a little bit more so he could play better because right now the Lakers look like a complete mess and I don't necessarily know why that is but I think the playing is a great idea it's going to bring out really competitive basketball and I think as a fan we all want that and for the NBA it's just going to drive up revenue. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I love the play-in tournament idea because, you know, those 2-7, that 1-8 matchup, a lot of the time when I'm looking at the NBA playoffs, I just kind of write that off. Everybody writes it off because, you know, the last time I could really think of a 2-7, I mean, obviously recently it's happened, but the only time a 1-8's really happened was that Mavericks-Warriors series a while, like long time ago. 
um, the two and seven, the seven and eight seeds, it creates competition between those teams that are kind of at that same skill level. But when you're seven and eight, you're not really going to compete with, you know, the 73 and nine Golden State Warriors when you're an eight seed. That's just not going to happen. So the, the play in tournament creates more competition. It's going to create a lot of revenue for the league, which is going to help out everybody as a whole. But yeah. The Lakers would, or LeBron really, would not be saying this if he wasn't in a position where he could be in the playing tournament. Because you know, it it only it only worries you when it affects you a lot of the time with these kind of things. So LeBron's just frustrated with his injury, obviously, and his teammates not playing as well as they can. Uh, they play a lot better with him on the floor, especially you know LeBron again, top three player of all time, uh, pretty pretty easily, arguably. So he's really good at making players you know play better around him. So. Again, he would not be complaining if he was a two seed or a three seed right now. Yeah, and I agree with that idea that he definitely would not, you know, he wouldn't, I mean, he wouldn't be asked about it, right? If his team wasn't in a position to be in the tournament. So I guess it's not really that fair for us to, you know, say he wouldn't be saying it because teams wouldn't really, or reporters or the media or anybody, you know, or us would really not be that concerned with, you know, his position on it at this point uh, if he wasn't involved. But, you know, when I first thought about this and thought about these statements, I, I thought it was bad. You know, I thought, that it kind of, you know, like you guys illustrated, uh, it pointed out the hypocrisy. It was, you know, a negative thing for the league to have basically its highest profile player, you know, come out and criticize it. And, you know, it's basically, you have the, the evidence of him last year saying that it was, you know, a good idea. And now he's involved and he doesn't like it. So I thought that was originally bad, but then the more that I thought about it, I actually think this is really good for the NBA, you know, to have it's, I get, again, highest profile player, come out talking like this he's sitting on the edge of his seat getting ready to play in potentially you know a game against the eighth seed in the nba to to make the nba playoffs i think that drama towards the end of the year is actually really beneficial for the league and also you know the fact that this playing tournament i think it really solves the two biggest problems the nba has been facing for the last couple of years one of them being load management and the other one being tanking because basically what they did is is they expanded sort of this meaningful part of the NBA that people didn't really care about, you know, before it was always about, you know, nobody wants to be the nine seed because if you're the nine seed, you're not in the playoffs and you are not going to have great lottery odds to get a high draft pick. And that's why teams would tank and they wouldn't want to be in that middle pack. But now with the expanded, you know, I guess essentially playoffs, you are engaging teams that are in the nine seed in the 10 seed, even like the 11 and 12 seed, you know, those teams aren't out of it anymore. You can get the 10 seed, you can win a couple of games and get hot at the right time. And it makes games at the end of the season more meaningful for those teams towards the bottom of the league. And it also, I think it combats load management as well because teams at the top of the league, you know, they don't want to be LeBron. They don't want to be the players, you know, being concerned about having to face these teams in the eight and nine seed. Uh, so they have to keep playing and they can't, you know, sit in these important times. So I just think, when it comes to combating those major issues, I think this tournament has done a great job in, in doing that. Now, yeah, I totally agree. And the thing about it is that not only is it going to drive up competition, but, you know, LeBron also was quoted in 2018 in saying that he did not like the play and to be fair to LeBron. So at first he said that he didn't like it. Then he says he liked it. Now he's saying he doesn't like it again. And at that time, he had no incentive to say that he did not like it because he was not in the position to be in the plane. But with, with that being said, I think that this season, along with last season, are unique situations. Last year, the season was cut short. But this year, it is a shortened season 
We only have 72 games. How many teams have been affected by health and safety protocols? The Wizards are one of them. The Wizards are finally healthy, and now they're going on a tear. They're going on a huge, a gigantic win streak, and they're about to be in the play-in and maybe the playoffs possibly. So I think this is a weird season as well, and we have to keep that in mind. But all in all, like back to what you were saying, John, I think usually the 7th and 8th seed, it doesn't really matter who's there. They're going to lose regardless. So if, if they're going to lose regardless, why not let other teams have a chance to get into the playoffs, you know? Because at the end of the day, if you're a seven and eighth seed and you're a true seventh and eighth seed, all you have to do is win one game. If you can't win one game, I don't think you deserve to be in the playoffs. Right. And even that applies to the Lakers, especially if they find their way in the play in. I think a lot of people, if the Lakers were to lose in the play in tournament, people would have said, oh, they would have won the finals if they were the fifth seed or the fourth seed. Then why did they win that seventh seed if they're an NBA champion caliber team? That's what I, that's what I kind of gets what you're saying there. And the thing with the shortened season, that also applies. How is that going to apply in an 82 game season? We don't really know how that's going to work. I mean, it's really, it's just 10 more games, really. It should still work. It creates more competition between those lower seeds that aren't going to get as much action or as much attention or as much notoriety as they would if they were, you know, just thrown into a one eight series and get swept. So I think that they're probably going to at least try it in the next 82 game season that they have. But like you said, Joel, it works for a 72 game season works for a short and bubble season because again, teams get hot and it affects the standings when there's less games. So yeah, I think it works for this season, but it's going to be interesting to see how it works in an 82 game and a full season. All right. Well, we all think it works, but just to play devil's advocate, for a moment here, you know, what do you think about the crit- the criticism that, you know, it kind of cheapens the playoffs because this is a league where already more than 50% of the teams make it, you know, eight teams in each conference, you know, now essentially, I mean, not really, but essentially it is 10 teams in each conference. So 20 out of the 30 teams are getting playoff level competition, you know, high intensity games. You know, what do you think about that criticism that it cheapens the playoffs for these teams that are making it towards the bottom? I think the criticism of players and teams that they don't really try near the end of the season is is much more convicting than a, a playing game, right? You know, I think during the during this time of year, nobody really cares about watching basketball until the playoffs start. You know, no teams are tanking. We we see some teams are already tanking right now because they have no chance at playing. But we we saw a Chicago Bulls team trade for Nikola Vucevic to try and make the play-in. So you know, you brought it up earlier that this stops tanking. So even though I guess it may cheapen the playoffs in one way, because ten, because there are 10 teams that have a chance at making the playoffs at in each conference, at the end of the day, there's only eight that are going to um, make it like for real, make it. So that's why I don't, I don't really think it cheapens the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know if it really cheapens the playoffs. I think the goal of it and what it's really doing is keeping as many teams in playoff contention as possible. Obviously, the Wizards would not be in the position that they're in to really go hard and really go on this win streak that they're going on if they had to be an eight seed to have a chance at the playoffs, right? So I think it does actually do the opposite. I think it improves the playoff system because, again, more teams are eligible. Obviously, you might say, oh, well, then the teams that don't deserve to might get into the playoffs. Well, then that's why they have to earn it through a play-in. That's why the 10 seed has to play that game and earn that they earn their spot in the playoffs. And then, then they have to prove it as an eight or a seven seed, which usually doesn't happen. So you get to the same spot you're at, just in a, a very much more entertaining fashion. So I think it just improves the whole system as a whole. Yeah, it does seem like the trade-offs are worth it, right? You know, you combat these big issues of load management, tanking these things that, 
the NBA has been trying to fix for a long time. You make the end of the season more entertaining. You know, if some people want to criticize it, saying it, it sort of cheapens the competition in the playoffs. It makes it easier to get in. Uh, I guess that trade-off would be worth it to sort of squash some of those other major issues. Uh, but the NBA playoffs, you know, we're approaching that time as well. And like I said at the top of the show, there's always storylines in the NBA. You know, it's one of the most dramatic leagues. The players are highlighted very specifically over some other leagues. And last year, you know, these storylines, they showed up again. Damian Lillard, the Blazers, they were red hot at the right time. Uh, they got into the playoffs as the eighth seed through the playing tournament. The Lakers really struggled coming back in the bubble. And people, I mean, the people were picking the Blazers to beat them in the first round. And what do you know? The Lakers win in five, and then they end up going on to win the whole thing. So really, that was all just a bunch of noise and people trying to, you know, hype up, I guess, the end of the NBA regular season. But just because that was proven wrong last year doesn't mean it didn't come back. There's still tons of storylines going on especially with the contenders at the top of the league. The Lakers, again, notably, you know, LeBron and AD, they've been banged up for a lot of the season. That's part of the reason why they've been struggling. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games, not uh, having a great finish to their season once again. Uh, the Nets as well, they're on a four-game losing streak at the time of this recording. They're playing Denver in their next game. It could go to five. It could get worse. They're negative without James Harden on the floor since their trade. And they lost to another contender in the Bucks in back-to-back games. So, Things may be a little scary for the Nets. I don't know. We'll talk about them probably in a moment. There's just so many. I mean, my Knicks, my my fantastic Knicks dominating this season, uh, 12 and 2 in their last 14 games, uh, just having a fantastic month of April as well with the nine game win streak. There, there's just a, a ton of storylines, guys. So, John, I'll go to you first. Which storyline here are you really not believing in as we finish out the season? You know, the one thing I'm not believing in is the Lakers' struggles. Obviously, with no LeBron, they're going to struggle without LeBron James on the floor. Anthony Davis, Joel, like you mentioned, is more focused on streaming on Twitch than playing basketball right now. And I think these guys are really just kind of waiting for the end of the season. But it's gotten to a point where they don't realize that they're going to have to play a play-in tournament. So I think, though, when LeBron James does finally come back and return, hopefully at 100%, I think any NBA fan, if you're a LeBron hater, would agree that you want to see LeBron James back at his full playing capacity. He's supposed to return within a few games. He get his return got delayed a bit, but I think that when he comes back, this team is still going to be that team that won the NBA championship last season. And they're going to really just be an absolute threat, especially if they might have to play that lower seed. Uh, they're going to be a, a big threat no matter who they play. So, but that is all determined on LeBron James's health. But I think that he's going to end up coming back and coming back just as good as he was despite that sprained ankle. So that that's where I see the Lakers going. <laughs> the one storyline that I'm not buying into, not even one bit, is Chris Paul being the MVP. Why is he even in the conversation are we serious? I know what he did with Phoenix. Yes, they're the first seed, but they just became the first seed. And while Paul is the most important player on Phoenix, he is not the best player. The best player is Devin Booker. This entire year, the Utah Jazz were the first seed. I never heard this much rumblings about Donovan Mitchell being the MVP. Or you can you can you can probably argue Rudy Gobert is having as big as an impact on the Jazz as Chris Paul is on the Suns. I don't hear Rudy Gobert being in the MVP conversation. So the fact that Chris Paul is in the conversation and some people in the media have been having him over Nikola Jokic is is crazy to me. Like Nikola Jokic is having 
an elite level season compared to Chris Paul, who's just having a borderline all-star season. I mean, everybody in NBA history hated when Steve Nash won those two MVPs over Kobe and Shaq. Giving giving Chris Paul the MVP this year is the same as that, even worse than, than those Steve Nash MVPs. So the fact that Chris Paul is in the MVP conversation, look, I'm not knocking what he's doing, but he's not playing at an MVP level. He's just not. He's playing at a great level. He's a great mentor and leader, but he's not an MVP. Giving Chris Paul the MVP over Jokic, over Embiid, you know, that's, I mean, that's insanity. We can't do that. It's not going to happen. Uh, there's no way that he will actually end up winning it over somebody like Jokic, who's putting up historic numbers. He'll probably be the second, uh, second round pick to ever win MVP. But to have him in the conversation, I don't know if that's that crazy. I think he belongs in the MVP conversation because it just based on track record, right? I mean, Chris Paul, everywhere he's gone, I mean, he's, he only made the conference finals one time. Yes, he's never made the NBA finals. But everywhere he's gone, he's elevated the play of that team. You know, no doubt about it. In Houston, he, he took a team with James Harden that had been struggling. You know, James Harden has been crowned as a notorious playoff choker. He took that team and helped elevate it to a team one game away at one point from beating probably, I mean, you can make the argument that the Nets are this year, but I think as it stands right now, that Golden State team probably is the most talented ever with Curry and Duran and all those players, obviously. So they were just one game away from beating that team with Chris Paul there. Then he leaves and they bring in Westbrook and they struggle again. Then Chris Paul goes to Oklahoma City, takes Westbrook's place. And I mean, Westbrook has has had success with them, but Chris Paul took a team people thought were going to be towards the bottom of the league, you know, probably the worst team in the league and took them into the playoffs as a fifth seed, took them to one game away from beating James Harden in the first, in the first round. So you got that there. And now he goes to Phoenix and this is a team that had been struggling to make the playoffs. You know, we didn't really know where they would be. I made some predictions at the beginning of the year that they would be the eighth seed in the West uh, with Chris Paul with their additions. And now you look at them now, basically, you know, one game out of the best record in the NBA. So Chris Paul, his track record has certainly been there for never really an MVP bid like this year. But I think, you know, his impact from around the league has contributed to him becoming an MVP candidate. I don't think he, he deserves to win, but I think he certainly belongs in the candidacy. Yeah, there's always these kind of players that make me feel like that there should be a separate award for a player like Chris Paul, like a mo- like a best leader award, because obviously Chris Paul is not the best player in basketball right now. That's really what the MVP has become, who has played the best throughout the season. And Chris Paul is in the mid-50s in scoring right now. He is not on that scoring tear, on that assist. He, the, he doesn't have the statistics to back it up. Um, this kind of reminds me, I mean, Isaiah Thomas, when he was on the Celtics, was in the MVP conversation, but nobody really considered him as a real MVP candidate. That's kind of where Chris Paul falls right now. Um, I mean, Isaiah Thomas had a lot more scoring. It was more impactful for the Celtics, obviously, before. But um, Chris Paul's a player that's just a leader. He's not an MVP. He's not a, you know, give me the ball, I'm going to score. That's Devin Booker. That, that's who is really the MVP usually for the league. I think Nikola Jokic is going to win the MVP regardless of what happens. I hope he does. Uh, I do like me some Nikola Jokic, but I think Chris Paul, you have to make like a different award for players like this that just lead a team, but aren't necessarily, you know, up there for the best players in basketball right now. See, when you say Chris Paul belongs in the MVP conversation, my question is where? Because definitely not top five, because that's Nikola Jokic, 
Joel Embiid, Steph Curry. I would put Kawhi over him in the MVP conversation. I know he's missed some games, but I was still. I think Kawhi's been playing better. Julius Randle with the Knicks. We were supposed to not even be in contention for a playing spot, and yeah, I think he's been having a better season than um, Chris Paul. I could probably name a few more, but you know, Chris Paul because of what he did in OKC, I think he's getting a little bit too much credit because before he got to Houston, much like James Harden, he was labeled a playoff choker as well. It's not like, you know, he wasn't labeled as this playoff choker. His playoff film was out there. He blew a 3-1 lead to James Harden's Houston Rockets when he was with the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers have had some debacles in the playoffs with Chris Paul. And he's also been a guy you can't really rely on because he tends to get hurt at the end of the year. So, I mean, I think Harden was such a bigger part in that Houston team and he just needed a co-star. And even in that OKC, with that OKC team, I mean, they had talent, Danilo Gallinari, Shea, really blossomed his second year, Steven Adams. I mean, they had, and Dennis Schroeder. I mean, they had a good three-guard lineup and they had a, a bunch of talent. In my opinion, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but, I think people not picking that OKC team to at least compete for a playoff spot was more so a misjudgment of talent than it was Chris Paul just really elevated them so f- above and beyond that they made the playoffs. The NBA MVP really has it's become about narrative more than more than a lot of things. I mean like John already pointed out, obviously your your skill level and your talent is a great contributor as well, but I think the narrative of the MVP has really taken precedent over the last couple of years. And when you say, Joel, you know, where would you put Chris Paul? I think his narrative and the narrative with Phoenix, them being, you know, basically the number one seed, they're just one game out. It could change at any point. Uh, I think that narrative, it, it does matter for the MVP. You know, you put Kawhi over him. I don't know if I'd be willing to put the uh, player who's led his team to a lower seed. He's been injured, so... You know, I don't want to take too much away from him from getting injured. It's not his fault, but it does matter when it comes to the MVP uh, if you're able to be out there and play games for your team. So I just think the narrative of Chris Paul, the only reason I would put Kawhi Leonard above him would be because his talent. I mean, Chris, Kawhi Leonard is a better player than Chris Paul uh, at this point, and probably uh, I, I'd be willing to say all time he's a better player. But, you know, the talent level, it, the MVP has not always become about that. You know, that's the only thing stopping LeBron from having won it, you know, I guess you know, eight of, eight of the last 10 years, really, I guess if we're going talent level, he probably should have won. So I think that narrative for Chris Paul uh, leading his team to potentially the NBA's number one overall seed, I think that's, it, it gives him a boost in his positioning for the MVP. But no, I, I ultimately, I agree with you. He's not going to win it. I also number. forgot about Giannis. I could have mentioned Giannis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would put Giannis over Kawhi and maybe Chris Paul also. So I'm down with that. Julius Randle too. Uh, we'll get into him in a minute, but uh, my NBA storyline I'm not buying towards the end of the year is the Brooklyn Nets struggles. Now, I would certainly like to, I'd like to think that the Nets are falling off. You know, most people root against the juggernaut team, the Warriors. Steph Curry is my favorite player of all time. So people used to hate on me. They would hate all over the Warriors when they were dominating. Uh, now I'm in that position with the Nets. I don't want to see the Nets win. Uh, a lot of people in the NBA don't. Uh, and they've been really struggling without James Harden. You know, they were 27 and 7 with Harden since the trade. They're on a four-game winning streak at this point. They've gone negative without him as well. And they've just been struggling down the stretch at pretty much the worst time to be struggling in the regular season for a lot of teams. And, you know, it's just kind of like the Lakers last year. You know, you look at down the stretch of the season, 
people are wondering if they could win the championship last season. And now it's kind of been the same thing with the Nets. But I mean, the obvious reason why I'm not buying it is James Harden could probably save them. I mean, you don't have two of your big three members or excuse me, one of your big three members down the stretch. And they've obviously been better with him on the floor. So I think James Harden is here to save the Nets when it come playoff time. I think they'll be just fine. Uh, I'd certainly like to buy that they've been struggling, but I don't think I can at this point. No, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, that just adds the, my, the fuel to my case that I've always been saying it. Harden is better than Kevin Durant. I mean, Harden would not allow this to happen if he was on the Nets. I mean, you look at the record 27 and 7 when Harden is playing. And there were some games when Kyrie was not there and KD was not there and Harden would manage to get a victory. But I'm not buying the struggles either. I think the Nets will ultimately figure this out. And I think they will win the championship 100%. And I hope they do because I'm a, I'm an avid James Harden fan. I do fear the beard. I get goosebumps when he plays. He's that scary. You know, nobody wants to see him on the court. So, you know, I think the Nets will be just fine. Yeah, so yeah. you're like me uh, with the with Steph Curry. You know, I'm a Curry fan, w- hoping that the Warriors would defeat LeBron. Not a big LeBron fan, and now you're just like that with Harden. You know, nobody wants the Nets to win, but rooting for your favorite player. So I understand. Yeah, for me, part of me wants to buy the struggles, and the other part of me is like, when you have those three players on the team, whether all three of them are on the floor, there's just too much talent in Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. That if you put any of those two guys on the floor, it's still it's still a great team to me. But come playoff time, when you're gonna want to put all three players on the floor at the same time or playing on your team at the same time, you know it's gonna be an issue potentially if these guys can have the chemistry to play well on the floor against playoff teams that have played, you know, 78 games or 70 games at least uh, together on the floor at the same time. But the Nets are still going to probably at least make the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know if they'll win the NBA championship, but I can really see them getting there because, again, there's just too much talent on that squad to really say that, you know, a a small chemistry issue is going to break that team. There's just too much talent in Kevin Durant. James Harden and Kyrie Irving, you know, two of those players are arguably the best players in basketball, the most talented players in basketball right now. So I think the Nets are going to still go far. So I'm not buying this one. All right. On the other side of the spectrum, what's an NBA storyline that you are buying towards the end of the year, Joel? Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, I'll say hmm, I can go with one about the Knicks or I can go something along the lines of the Western Conference. I'll talk about the Knicks. I think the Knicks are are here. You know, I think they are legit. I think they are for real. I know some people are still trying to uh, downplay what they've been doing this season, but I think they've been playing very well. Obviously, we're on a we're on a road stretch right now. We're not sure where our seating might land, but the storyline I'm buying is that if the Knicks face the Atlanta Hawks in the first round, they will be a second round team, and they will make the second round. Last time since Carmelo Anthony. And that would be a huge success for the Knicks. And it's going to lead to some problems, which we're going to talk about later on and whether they should pay Julius Randle or not. But ultimately, I think the Knicks are for real. And I think they have one of the brightest, if not the brightest future in the NBA. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to buy... I'm going to buy the Washington Wizards because, I mean, that team is way too much. That team is so much talent in Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. And they have a solid squad so far right now. Uh, you know, Alex Len has been playing pretty well. They don't have maybe the depth to go far into the playoffs. But I think when you have Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal on the floor playing together, it kind of reminds you of that John Wall, Bradley Beal Wizards. It's almost like you just, you know, replaced him. Russell Westbrook's healthy. He's explosive point guard who doesn't really shoot a lot of threes. 
So it kind of reminds me of those old wizards, you know, when they had, when they had Paul Pierce make that bank shot that one year, they're like that team again, they have, you know, they don't have the depth, but they have enough players in that starting lineup and maybe in the, you know, the beginning of their bench to maybe get them, you know, into the play in tournament, into that eight seed spot. And I think that they're, you know, when you have Russell Westbrook, I think that you're going to go, uh, somewhat far you're going to at least show that you have potential obviously Russell Westbrook hasn't really done well in the first round when he's on his own team but he's with Bradley Beal now too so he has a guy that he can kick out to three or let let him do work too so I'm going to buy the Wizards yeah the Wizards are an interesting team because they're a team that's hot at the right time you know and the play-in tournament is going to help them out because could they get into the eighth seed if they continue down the season it was a normal year you know maybe not but the fact that they could be that 10 seed maybe even a nine seed and get into the playoffs that way and win a couple of games and get hot and, you know, claim the eight seed through just winning big time games. You know, that'll be what the, the value of the play in tournament really is when it comes down to it. So that'll be interesting to watch. You know, we'll see if they'll win games at the right time and be able to win two in a row and get in. Uh, my storyline that I'm going to buy in on is I'm going to agree with Joel and this will serve as a good transition for our Randall conversation is I'm going to buy the Knicks being, you know, a, a really a, a true successful team this season and beyond. You know, I don't think this is a fluke year. I think they really are a team that is solid and has the the nucleus of a franchise turning itself around. I mean, you look at all the pieces they have. You know, young talent with quickly Barrett. You know, Obi Toppin. The jury's still out. Uh, we're yet to see his real potential at all. I mean, he's been pretty bad this year, if I'm being honest. But you know, he, he's a rookie. We'll see what comes of that later on. Uh, Tom Thibodeau is probably, I mean, I'm a biased Nick fan, but in my opinion, he's at least co-coach of the year, uh, you know, probably should just win it outright. But if you want to give Monty Williams and him co-coach, uh, I'm down with that as well. But just when it comes to the Knicks and their history, I'm not really a positive Nick fan, or at least I wasn't until this point. You know, I kind of got to the point where I didn't care about who their coach was or who they were going to hire or who they were going to draft or who they were going to sign a free agency you know, kind of the year after they missed on Duran and Kyrie, I kind of just gave up on that and was like, okay, well, I'm a fan of this team and whatever happens, happens. You know, we'll just, we'll see how it unfolds. I'm not going to make too many rash decisions about their decision-making until we see what happens. And that kind of paid off because Julius Randle, every Nick fan hated Julius Randle last year. And I was just kind of like, you know, whatever they signed him, he's their guy for right now. We'll see what happens. And, you know, this year he turns it around, you know, Tom Thibodeau, People really didn't know what to expect uh, at the beginning of the season. I know it's easy to turn around and say, you know, of course, he's a great coach, but Tom Thibodeau had bounced around the league. I mean, he got fired in Chicago, ended up getting hired in Minnesota, just had a few years there, made the playoffs as an eight seed and was eventually let go. I mean, he wasn't like this dynasty coach that had been great for so long. And then he comes in and in one season with the Knicks, he has them as the number one defense in the league. I mean, it's just been fantastic. So I had not been, you know, super emotional about the Knicks until recently. You know, now I'm invested. Now I want them to win. Now I want their players to succeed. I'm all in on the Julius Randle MVP hype and everything. So I'm, I'm buying the Knicks as a legit uh, team for the future and for this season too. Yeah, I agree. I think the Knicks are legit and they're definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with and going forward. Yeah, they have the whole roster to really just develop. They have young talent. You know, I'll be topping. Obviously, you mentioned him. He's not there yet. Maybe he might be there next year, year beyond. But uh, Julius Randle's a superstar. I know, I know you guys want to talk about uh, potential contract extension. Yeah, so we'll get to that right now. Julius Randle, he's just 26 years old. He's averaging 24, 10, and 6. 
And right now he's on a bargain contract, you know, three years just over or three years, 60 million for, for Randall at this point. So he has one more year left on his deal before he can become an unrestricted free agent. And the talks are looming. You know, the extension talks are looming. Are the Knicks going to offer him uh, a big time extension? I think the rumor at this point is four years, 106 million with incentives to get him up to that, you know, 140, 150 level. Uh, so the question is simple, guys. Should the Knicks extend Julius Randle to a, a high value contract? Should the Knicks extend Randall? Absolutely not. Uh, no way. This should not happen. At least not now. Right. Because is this the first time that we've seen a player perform lights out on a contract year? This is basically a contract year for Randall because he has a player option for one more season. So this is his year to really prove himself. And yes, he did come into camp in shape this season. Last year was a little bit overweight. This year, he really turned out around. He brought up his three-point percentage. But am I going to trust a, a, a career three-point percentage in Randall of like 34% to keep up this pace of shooting 42%? I'm not really sure I'm buying that. If I'm the Knicks, the smart thing to do is to pick up his player option, let him play out next year. If you show out next year, okay, now you proved me wrong. Now I see where we're at. But do not sign him long-term after this year. We've seen this as Knicks fans happen time and time again. We prematurely sign somebody long-term. Moreno, this is his first breakout year. I'm going to pump the brakes on this because he's having a fantastic season. I hope he continues to have it. But let's be honest, Randall cannot be the best player on a championship team. And at the end of the day, we need to get those star players in the building. You know, the Nets, they didn't sign D'Lo long term. They said, no, we're going to go sign Katie and Kyrie because that's what's going to take us over the top. Julius Randle is D'Angelo Russell, is what D'Angelo Russell was for the Nets. He's the guy that's going to put us on the map, but he's not the guy that's going to stick with us when we ultimately reach the mountaintop. That's what I, That's how I see it. Yeah, I think the Knicks will eventually re-sign Julius Randle, but I do agree. You have to pick up that player option. You have to give him one more season because Julius Randle has – this is his first year as a quote-unquote superstar, if you want to call him that. He's – I do agree. He can't be the best player on a championship team. He doesn't have the talent to do it. He has the talent to be a champion, a player on maybe a, a team that consistently is a six, seven, eight seed going on right now. But Julius Randle is having, obviously, the best season of his life right now. And if you do pick up that player option, I agree. And he shows out again, you have to resign him to a big contract. The thing with the Knicks is uh, they have not been a very good franchise in the past few years. Uh, they haven't had a lot of success. They've been losing quite a bit. And I think a lot of Knicks fans, I don't know about you guys, but if you could have a team that would be a four through six seed consistently year in and year out, I think you for four years and then see what happens if you resign Julius Randle, I think a lot of Knicks fans would take that at this point. You know, obviously, a championship isn't really going to happen with Julius Randle as your forefront superstar. But maybe Julius Randle takes the Knicks far this season. If, if he takes the Knicks to the Eastern Conference Championship, it's hard to argue that you shouldn't re-sign him. But if the Knicks are a first-round exit, you have to pump the brakes a bit, pick up that player option, and try it again. Wow, I'm shocked. You know, I thought that we were all going to sit here and, and sing the praises of Julius Randle and be ready to give him – we would give, take money out of our pockets and give it to him for what he's done for the Knicks this year. But, you know, I do hear what you guys are saying. You know, they do have the team option next year. So there is one more season of sort of that trial run before you give up, you know, all the money. The thing that I will say with that is 
you know, you're looking at four years, 106 million at this point after next season, unrestricted free agent. So he can test the market with every team. He can get that big time. You know, I don't know what the max is for, you know, it's all, it's so complicated with team players when you're on the team and all that stuff. So I think it's, you know, 158 or something over five years, you know, he gets that option then. So you have to give him an extra year. You have to give him all that extra money. And he can basically say, you know what, you know, get lost, Nick. So I'm going to go sign with a different team and, you know, take my talents over there. So that's the risk I think you have of not signing Randall to this extension right now or after this year is because he could just, he could just disappear after that. Or you could be facing giving him an extra season of, you know, more expensive, a more expensive contract. So that's the risk to me of not signing him. And I, and I think I probably would do it. I think I would give him the four years, 106 million, because it is less money than the big time max contract. And, you know, Julius Randle, I think he's given you more than just, you know, 24 and 10 and decent playoff seating. I think he's given you, you know, he's given, he's given us hope. He's, he's revitalized a franchise that has been terrible for a long time. Uh, his work ethic and leadership has rubbed off on the entire team. You can see it, you know, all the players are staying after late shooting around, and that's, you know, largely due to Julius Randle and his leadership and, you know, him being a leader by example and just, you know, giving everything he's got to this team this year and putting them in position to be successful. So I think Julius Randle's value is, is, is very high to the Knicks. And to be able to get him at four years, $106 million, you know, it's only about $5 million more per year than you're giving him right now. And I think whatever it is, like 19. So that's not that much worse than, you know, the big time max contract. So I think... That extension is not that bad uh, when it comes to what you're getting. And you guys are saying he has to be the best player on a championship team. You know, he doesn't have to be. The Knicks have the option and they have the space to land a, a higher caliber player. So do you think he, like, can he not be a second option on a championship team? See, that's tricky. And, you know, just to talk about the contract a little bit, my worry is signing him long term. You know, it's in that 20 to $30 million range because. If we sign him to that, he's ba- he basically has to be the second best player on the championship team if we want to win a championship. And that's not something that I'm sure that he's capable of doing. He's had one breakout year. It's a phenomenal year. I thought Randall was going to be an all-star last season. Obviously, he didn't meet those expectations, but he became one this year. But I go back to this analogy. We all, you know, we consume uh, articles and journalism and stuff like that. We all know about the athletic right now. They have a promotion going on $1 a month for three months. So that's $3 for three months. Basically their original price is, is $4.99, basically $5 a month. If I'm the Knicks, why am I going to pay the entire subscription price of Randall when I got a trial right now, I can see what I got in him. I, I I'm a waiter. I'm a waiter. You know, I, get free weeks to Netflix, to Hulu, to HBO Max. And if I like it, I keep it. If I don't, I don't. And Randall, that's where I think we're at right now. We're not we're not sure what he brings to the table, much like these streaming services. We don't know if we're going to like the content that they bring. You know, uh, maybe the first month it might be great, but after that it runs out. So let's see if Randall keeps this up. And especially after the playoffs, because if he goes and in the playoffs and we face the Miami Heat or the Boston Celtics or the Hawks and Randall averages 15 points per game on bad efficiency, then no way am I signing him long-term. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, even with the success of the Knicks currently, it's hard to see a big name free agent. I mean, Julius Randle is a power forward. You're probably going to need to sign a point guard or a shooting guard right now. A younger one, someone that's going to be there for four or five years with Julius Randle being that one-two option, building that chemistry. They have the roster. Obviously, I love Emmanuel quickly. Uh, Obi Toppin's going to step up. I love the team that they've got going on now. And hey, this is a Seton Hall show. They should bring back Miles Powell. We'll say, how about that? But, you know, I don't know if the New York Knicks, I mean, obviously it's New York, it's Madison square garden, right? But free agents, you know, we just saw Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden all go to Brooklyn. It's hard to see a free agent want to play for the New York Knicks considering their struggles. You know, they, they, they don't have the same allure that they used to have 10, 20, 30 years ago. It's going to be hard for the Knicks to get a big name free agent to pair up with Julius Randle, you know, looking beyond his season. So, you know, you have to find the best player on your championship team before you really pair him up with the second best player on the championship team. I think Julius Randle can be the second best, second or third best player on a team like that. But again, the Knicks still need to find that superstar that can really lead the team. Um, a lot of people think it could be Julius Randle, but I'm not too, I'm not too sold on him right now. Take that player option. Try Try again. I guess the thing that I'm caught up on here is, you know, what other options do you have? You know, as the Knicks, you know, Julius Randle wrote a Players Tribune article about how he's damn proud to be a Nick. Now, I don't know. I mean, I know we're all around the same age. I don't know if you guys can name me anybody in our entire lifetime that has wrote an article about how they're proud to play for the Knicks and play in New York. I mean, it's been it's been that bad for a long time. So when you're saying, you know, we need to, I guess, give him the trial run, it's fair. But if you don't end up signing him, and he's not the second option, at least on your championship team. You know what? What are you looking at right now? That's gonna that's gonna fix that because let's say we give Randall the trial. Let's say he, you know, he dips in stats a little bit. Let's say he averages like twenty two, eight and and three next year, which is you know he's done that before in twenty eighteen. He averaged twenty one, eight and three. Twenty nineteen with the Knicks, he averaged twenty nine, nine and three. So that's right around that is where he's been the last couple of years. You know, let's say you give him that. He gives you that level of season and they make the playoffs and they lose in the first round again, you know, and you let them go your team. I mean, it's going to melt into nothing. It's going to be Tom Thibodeau and Emmanuel quickly and whoever else. And that's it, you know, and they're not going to be, they're not going to be successful without Julius Randall at this point. So I think unless you get lucky, unless you draft somebody 15th overall in the draft and they become great, you know, instantly you don't have any other options, but to bring in Julius Randall, that's, that's where I'm getting caught up. I think. I think, um, thinking like that is how teams get stuck in mediocrity, you know, because a lot of teams have done that over the past where they're just going to sign these guys just because they have no other options. I mean, I think RJ Barrett can become a star player. So I'm still, I'm very high on RJ Barrett just in his second year. It, I think if Randall does leave, Barrett can easily average 24 to 25 points per game, especially if we're talking about two years from now from this point. So, you know, of course I love Randall, but the thing is, is that as Knicks fans, we have to learn how to control our emotions because I had this debate with my cousin the other day. One time, you know, he talked about how Tim Hardaway Jr. should have been an all-star because he had a stretch of averaging 20 points per game with the Knicks. This is the thing. Last year, every single Knicks fan wanted Julius Randall gone. They would have done anything to, to, to get him off the team in the offseason, you heard rumblings about him potentially getting traded for Buddy Heald. So, and now all of a sudden he's having his good season and 
the script has completely switched. Oh, now let's sign him to a max. Give him whatever he wants. We're going to do this. Let's calm down. You know, I, you know, I came from a point of disappointment with Julius Randle. Now I'm content. If he does it again, now I'll be happy and be like, okay, now he really deserves it. He did write an article about the Knicks and that, that's very heartfelt, but we, we know how this business is. I mean, and his cancer said, you know, his nipples get hard when he thinks about the Knicks in the playoffs as well. So, yeah. you know, he, he was a fan favorite in New York as well. Doesn't mean we're, we're going to sign him long term. So, you know, I just think we need to calm down on Julius Randle. I love what he's doing. I, I ordered a Julius Randle jersey. Just, I don't know when it's going to come. NBA shipping takes forever. But, you know, I love Randle, but I'm not sure if we should sign him long term just yet. So you said that signing these players is how team gets stu- teams get stuck in mediocrity. And I, I could not disagree more. I mean... What we've seen from the Knicks over the past few years and from a lot of teams in the NBA is they just wait for the home run. You know, they wait for Katie and Kyrie to to align, the stars to align, and then you sign them all at once and everything works out and you win 10 championships in a row. And that just, it's not realistic. You know, things go wrong. You know, I was hearing Stephen A. Smith go on first take and say the Knicks have a 95% chance of signing Katie and Kyrie. And, you know, I guess the 5% kicked in, they didn't sign them. So letting Julius Randle go and, and falling into you know, mediocrity or having RJ Barrett average 20 something points, you know, that's how teams, they just go in that perpetual state of tanking because they just, you know, they have some decent players that aren't, you know, all-time great players. They let them walk in hopes for the all-time greats. The all-time greats never come. You're stuck in the same cycle over and over again. So I think when you have something you like, and when you have something that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. If you sign Julius Randle and then, free agency comes around and you sign somebody else to pair with him that's better than him, you know, now you're in a, a, a position of success. You know, I, I, I just don't think you can let these things go when you get them because, you know, we didn't expect Julius Randle to show out this year like he has. And I think letting that go and falling into a state of tanking is just, it's, it's what's inevitable if he doesn't come back. I just believe that with Tom Thibodeau, the Knicks will never tank. Like Tom Thibodeau just isn't that sort of coach that is going to let tanking happen. We're so good right now because our defense is number one. Do I think if we lose Julius Randle, is our defense going to still be top five for sure? Yes, I do. You know, I think even without Randle, our defense would be one of the best in the league. So I don't think he's necessarily making that that what it is. And we're one of the worst offenses in the league right now. So, you know, I don't I don't really think that if we lose Randle and bring in a power forward, like let's say, obviously this isn't realistic, but just like a Christian would. You know, it, it, would he bring in the same value that Randall has brought in? I 100% believe believe he would. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, the Knicks have a great defense right now you know, with Julius Randall's effort. Obviously, he's a great player. He's been a lot of the scoring on the Knicks as well. But the thing is, like we mentioned before, obviously, I mean, I think most people would agree that Julius Randall is no Giannis. He's no Harden. He's no Kevin Durant. And I think it's fair to say that he probably never will reach that level at this point in his career. So, and those are the players that end up winning NBA championships. You know, he's no Akeem Olajuwon, right? Obviously, if the Knicks let Julius Randle go, they're stuck with the roster they have, and they won't win as many games as they did without Julius Randle. Uh, They won't be a four seed like they are now. But is this a fluke season, or is this is this the Knicks' ceiling right now at the four seed, or is this their is this their peak? Or is this their floor right now? That's what the Knicks have to figure out. And if you give Julius Randle another year and they're the four seed again, or they're the three seed, five seed again, then yeah, you re-sign them to a contract. But if Julius Randle leads you to a play-in tournament bid, 
obviously, you know, you become a team like the Portland Trailblazers that's stuck hoping that they, you know, finally break through that Damian Lillard is able to carry that team to an NBA championship. And so far it hasn't happened yet. So the Knicks are in a pretty tough situation right now, but you got to give Julius Randle another year to prove that he is that player. All right. Well, it's been an NBA heavy show so far, but we'll transition for our last topic here to the NFL. And it's been outside of the NFL draft or really even more than that. It's been the story of the offseason so far. And that's the drama in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. And apparently, you know, things are, are just they're getting worse before they get better. You know, the Packers really found out about Rodgers and they said that, you know, they're not really willing to trade him, even though he wants out. And Rodgers basically said to combat that, you know, I'll retire. I'll just step away. Uh, he's thinking seriously about hosting Jeopardy, I guess, as his, you know, off uh, his retirement gig. So he's content with that. Doesn't want to play for the Packers anymore. Uh, it could be bad news for them if they really hold strong and they really decide not to move him or, or get anything for him or, you know, reach an agreement with him and bring him back. So what do you guys think? You know, John, do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to play in the NFL next year? Uh, I think the Green Bay Packers should trade Aaron Rodgers. They should have traded him with Denver before the draft or during the draft happened. Uh, Aaron Rodgers clearly does not want to play for the Green Bay Packers. He is frustrated with the poor management that the Packers have had. They have a solid team, but they never got him a weapon. They never got him what he needed. So, you know, it clearly there's a rift that clearly is is broken, is not going to be fixed right now. Um, and if you're the Packers, you drafted Jordan Love, you traded up for a guy. You know, Aaron Rodgers is, you know, 37, 38 years old right now. He wants to play into his 40s, but who knows if he's going to keep up that MVP season he had last year going into 39, 40, 41, 42. You know, not everybody can be Tom Brady. Uh, I don't think Aaron Rodgers would fall off a cliff, but he's this, that, that's probably the best season we're going to see the rest of Aaron Rodgers' career, the one he just had. Um, you know, Devontae Adams obviously is one of the best receivers in football, arguably a top three receiver in football. Some people say he's the best receiver in football. I don't know if I'd go that far. But Aaron Rodgers can get you so much value that I don't see why you don't trade him, bring some pieces in, get, you know, two, three first-round draft picks from the Denver Broncos, and you let Jordan Love play in this offense that he sat under for a year. Because here's the thing. If Aaron Rodgers retires and leaves the Packers, you get nothing out of him. I mean, either you somehow convince Aaron Rodgers to stay or you trade him, get a mega bit of value for him, let Jordan Love play, see if he's the guy around a great roster. You just re-signed Aaron Jones. Obviously, you still have Devontae Adams. And you see if you can run it back because I think with Jordan Love, this Packers team wins that division and they at least make the second round of the playoffs. I think Jordan Love has all the talent to do so. So you got to trade Aaron Rodgers, get your value for him while he's still around. That's what you got. Look, I'm super high on Jordan Love, but I wouldn't go that far. Look, the Vikings had a pretty pretty good offseason. I think if, if Jordan Love is under center starting, the Vikings easily win that division. That's just my opinion. And – um. Just to piggyback on the Rogers situation, Adam Schefter went on the Dan Patrick show and basically said that his story about Rogers wanting out, uh, he had no sources for it. So even though he put that league and team sources told ESPN, he had no sources for that story. So he just put that out based on his gut feeling. Do I think Rogers is frustrated with the franchise and the organization? 100%. But I don't believe this is a standoff. I don't believe this is the GM or me type situation. And I don't really think that he said those things 
as well. Like, I think if the Packers don't trade Rodgers, Rodgers will be on the Packers this upcoming season, and he will be playing quarterback for them. But I do think it will be his last season playing quarterback for the Packers. Right now, if the Packers were to trade Aaron Rodgers, I mean, they would take on a huge dead cap that would really handicap them moving forward in terms of signing players and re-signing their own guys. Devontae Adams' contract is coming up after this season. So trading Rodgers is going to have a huge implication on their money situation so I don't think it would be the smartest thing to do as of right now but all in all I think this situation as a whole has gotten blown way out way out of proportion I don't think it's as serious as people have made it out to be and I think that Rodgers will be on the Packers and if he gets traded I could see Denver or the football team Washington as an option see I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan so whether he retires, whether he gets traded, you know, I'm all for it. I, I hope either one of those things happens. And I like what you have to say, Joel. I hope the Vikings win the division. And they do seem like they could be in line to be the best team if Rodgers really is gone. But, I mean, yeah, you saying that, the fact that Schefter didn't really have any sources, I mean, I guess it kind of adds up. I mean, also, like you said, do we really need sources to know that Rodgers is angry with the Packers and has been frustrated for a long time? You know, I, I don't think so. I think we can see that. I think everybody can see that. Uh, but yeah, when it, when it just comes to this situation, you know, it's really one of the most bizarre player wanting out situations, even if, you know, there is no sources and this new information is not, you know, completely legitimate. Uh, I do think it, it just, it, it's really weird. The fact that he's always been, at least for the past couple of years, always been so frustrated with what's been going on. You know, I understand them not drafting a wide receiver in the first round and drafting Jordan Love and sort of, I guess, you know, drafting the predecessor to him or the whatever following up. I don't know. I'm messing up my words here, but whoever's going to follow up him, they drafted that player over giving him weapons and giving him the best chance to succeed. So I understand that aspect, but I mean, he came out and he won MVP last year. They went 13 and three last year. They went to the NFC championship and ultimately lost, but that's not that bad for, you know, your team. I'd certainly like to go 13 and three above, you know, eight and eight or whatever middle of the pack. So They've been successful. He's been successful. Devontae Adams is one of the best receivers in the league. They just re-upped Aaron Jones as another weapon for Rodgers there in the backfield. So I don't think this is the worst situation that Rodgers can be in. I don't really know why he is, you know, so adamant about leaving because he is in a pretty great situation as it is. Now, when it comes to the new information, Joel, I know you said that Schefter didn't really have any sources, but the other, there's been other, you know, reports too. The Athletic was the publication that reported that Rogers, you know, didn't want to return as long as the GM is there. So, you know, I think, you know, maybe is that information legit? You know, I think he would rather see the GM go before he goes. You know, I think he would rather stay in Green Bay and just have them get rid of this disposable general manager while he's the MVP of the league and he can stick around. I think the Packers would prefer that too. So, I don't know. I think. Uh, Regardless of the information here, I think it's really just it, it's strange that he always wants out all the time. Yeah, yeah what uh, I was saying before. Yeah, you go, you go. No, you yeah. go, John. Just all right, all right, all right. What I was saying before, what I said about trade Aaron Rodgers, that's under the assumption and that's under my my conclusion that Aaron Rodgers probably does want out, right? But if he doesn't want out and he's just frustrated, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to you know be the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers next season, but. You know, the whole retirement thing, he could get out of it. It's like kind of what Rob Gronkowski did when he was traded to the Lions. He just retired so he couldn't get out of it and then moved on somewhere else, right? But Or, or stay with the Patriots that year. 
Now, Aaron Rodgers obviously is, you know, I think he's the most talented quarterback the NFL has ever seen, right? You want to keep him. You want to keep playing with Aaron Rodgers as long as you possibly can. But if he's going to retire, you got to get rid of him. Obviously, it gets a value out of him. But I really think that Aaron Rodgers is just trying to get a receiver. He's trying to get more help and he's trying to get as much control as he possibly can, which I think he deserves because he's played well enough to earn it. So, but I do think Aaron Rodgers will play for the Packers next season, but it's always been a strange situation. I feel like we've had a discussion like this every other year with Aaron Rodgers, maybe leaving, going somewhere else, going to San Francisco when they passed up on him for Alex Smith, that one draft. Uh, But it's always a strange situation. And the new news coming out seems like this is a bit blown out of proportion, like you guys have mentioned. So I think Aaron Rodgers will start for the Green Bay Packers uh, next season. You know, with me, I think, of course, Rodgers has every right to feel frustrated because of the team's draft picks and lack of, you know, free agent signings over the past couple of years. But at the end of the day, he still has a very good roster. Like, he still has a very good roster. You don't hear much. You don't hear Kirk Cousins complaining about his offensive line. And I know, Will, you you watch Vikings games. You know their offensive line is horrid. You know, Kirk Cousins isn't complaining about that. So why is Aaron Rodgers the only one that has to complain about his, you know, his surroundings? Tom Brady, even though we knew his weapons were horrible in New England, he did not complain about it while he was there. And even after, he has not come out and complained about it the way that the media is saying or Rodgers is complaining about it. To your point about the athletic, I'm not sure if that report is entirely true. Of course, the athletic is very credible, so I'll take their word on it. But right now, um, Aaron Rodgers, like, I don't know if you guys know the Pat McAfee show, but Pat McAfee has Aaron Rodgers on like every Tuesday. And, you know, they're really close. And to this point, Pat McAfee has basically denied all these rumors about Rodgers and, and has just said that this does not sound like this, you know, this is what Rodgers would do. So I kind of trust Pat McAfee in this, you know, situation because of that close relationship with Rodgers. I think he's definitely frustrated with the Packers, but giving them an ultimatum of firing the GM or trading him or all these other kind of, you know, you know, demands, I'm not sure if he's doing that type of stuff. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not often that you see reigning MVPs complain about their situation. I think something went right in order for you to succeed and go to the NFC Championship and also win that MVP. Uh, well, that's going to do it for us here on this latest edition of Exes and Opinions. If you've made it this far, you might as well give us a rating and review on Apple because you listen for an hour and giving us a rating takes like five seconds. So please go ahead and do that. You can follow us on social media as well at WSOU Sports. For Joel Moran, John McCooch, I'm Will Swanky, saying so long. Enjoy your week.